Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in to the latest edition of the Pump Fake, everybody. Jarrett Bailey with you as always. Joining me today, it's my buddy from the Indie Star, Nate Atkins. Hi, fella. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you again. It's been a couple months since we were hanging out in Indy, and here you are checking back in on Indy. So let's see how that works. Yeah, I know. It's really come full circle. What place did we eat at? Um, I genuinely can't remember. Um, it was like a chicken place, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, – I kind of forget the name of it, too. It's in place on Mass Ave. Uh, it was the uh, Eagle. That's yeah, I was going to – I thought I, that was the name that was in my head, but I yeah. got two ginormous chicken breasts, and it was delicious, yes. and it was very nice. Yes, we, we, we basically ordered a feast, and ate, we ate pretty well, so that was, that was good times. It was very good times. Um, a stressful draft for Colts fans, I would say. But from the sound of it, everybody's pretty relieved on the selection of Anthony Richardson. And everybody in the building, from the sounds of it, you know, they seem to be really happy with the potential that he has. Um, and Gardner Minshew, I think I saw a quote today saying that he's been very impressed with Anthony Richardson. All good vibes seem to be coming out of Indianapolis. Is that kind of uh, the feeling for you? Yeah, it's all good vibes. I mean, part of it is that this team, this franchise, fan base, players, everybody, coaches, they've all been so starved to find an answer at quarterback, like an, an answer that has a long-term potential to it. So you take it back to, you know, when Andrew Luck retires, shockingly, and that was uh, just before 2019 season. So uh, they've just been on this hamster wheel where Anthony Richardson, if he starts week one, is going to be their sixth week one starter in six years. Mm-hmm. So you take that in the context of a fan base that for, for a lot of them have seen two quarterbacks basically their entire life, Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, to what this has been for the past uh, five seasons now. And not only has it been you know all that change, but outside of maybe when they first got Carson Wentz, there hasn't really been an option that felt like it had any kind of long-term potential. You know, Phillip Rivers was on the back nine. Jacoby Brissett was meant to be kind of a stopgap option. Matt Ryan, it was was when they've gone after number one picks in the draft, slam dunk picks like Peyton Manning and Andrew Locke, and you knew who it was going to be, you know, two months before the draft. This one had such, you know, intrigue and such kind of mystery to it as far as how that order was going to go. But just finally getting that quarterback, I think not, you know, just getting him in the building and getting a guy that has the type of traits that Anthony Richardson has between his 40 time, his size, his, uh, just his ability to launch the ball down the field, his rushing ability. It just it brought some excitement for the for the now and for especially for the long term that these guys just aren't really used to. So I think that uh, every time that you get some kind of answer at quarterback, it sort of lifts the entire building. I felt that to a level a year ago when they traded for Matt Ryan just because they didn't know where they were going to go at all. That obviously didn't pan out. But this one is an even different feeling because it's not just to them an answer for this year. It's what they hope is an answer for many years to come. And that's something that they haven't really thought about since Andrew Luck. How where where were you kind of leaning on the scale of like not necessarily who you wanted them to take, but there was a lot of talk. Oh, my goodness. They might take Will Levis at four um anthony richardson was obviously in the mix um but in terms of like a scale you know you know 50 50 60 40 like how where were you leaning on like the chances that they were going to take will levis 
So the way it was breaking out when the draft got here, uh, it was pretty certain that Bryce Young was going number one to the Panthers. And then that's where it was all kind of a mystery. I didn't see the Texans taking C.J. Stroud. That wasn't what anyone seemed to expect to finally go down, and then it did. So it was, it's trying to figure out kind of where he would fall and then the picking order from there. I, I did feel like that Richardson would be the Colts' favorite player after uh, Bryce Young, knowing they couldn't get Bryce Young. But this is also a franchise that doesn't trade up in the first round, and they ultimately yeah. didn't trade up in the first round. So I thought it was real 50-50 between which one they would end up with, between Richardson and Levis. Figured Stroud would go somewhere before pick number four, and then it was just going to come down to does the team leapfrog them and go get Anthony Richardson. And when the third pick came up, with the Cardinals and they traded down. That's like, there's videos of the Colts draft room. Very, very nervous because they had no idea who was coming up and there was noise that the Titans were looking into it. And if they're moving up, that was almost certainly going to be for a quarterback. So it just broke a certain way where, uh, you know, the Texans traded up, didn't need quarterbacks since they drafted CJ Stroud. And, uh, and, and that's when they knew they were getting Anthony Richardson. So it was real up in the air as far as what was going to happen. But the closer we got to the draft, the way that uh, just sort of the, the narratives and the, I guess, the priorities of the franchise seem to be changing a little bit. They seem to be getting more open-minded to the idea of things like developing accuracy, uh, to playing a guy early, even if he's not experienced, to uh, the value that, that a rushing quarterback can bring you know, while he's still developing as a passer. The more that they talked, the more it sounded like they were talking about Anthony Richardson. It just was such a mystery as to whether they'd have the chance to go get him because rarely does the draft work where you get to just sit where you're at, not at number one, and the quarterback you really want just falls to you. That isn't the quarterback, you know, landscape that we're in right now. But, you know, they've gone through such bad karma as a franchise with Andrew Luck and the, the things that have gone on since then. I guess they were due for a little bit of good luck, and that's kind of what happened here. So – in terms of what they now have to work with, you know, Shane Steichen comes over from Philadelphia as the new head coach. I think that that also will definitely play into the hand of the Colts, just knowing, you know, Shane Steichen helping and seeing it already with guys who have a certain athletic prowess to them where they can use their legs, not just use them, but it's arguably their biggest strength and seeing how he helped develop Jalen Hurts, I think that that's also another thing that really plays into the hands of the Colts. We're like, okay, you know, if this guy can't even come close to reaching his full potential, we have an alien at quarterback, just in terms of his size, his speed, his arm strength, and everything of that sort. Um, does that give, I mean, from a personal perspective, does that give you more confidence in the, you know, unlocking the full potential of Anthony Richardson, just seeing how Steichen, uh, was a big part of Jalen Hurts developing into what he is now. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. This whole franchise is betting a ton on Shane Steichen. That's why they were comfortable sitting at number four. Um, you know, they, they really believe he could work with different quarterbacks because he's done it with uh, Justin Herbert, you know, was ro offensive rookie of the year. Then he went and worked with Jalen Hurts. Before that, he'd work with Phillip Rivers. And right there, you have every kind of type of athleticism or not athleticism and youth or not youth and, I mean, all over the place. And so, but yeah, I think the Jalen Hurts model, that's the one that certainly is most, the best comp for Anthony Richardson is that it's a, you know, it's a mobile quarterback who comes in the league, you know, with questions about accuracy who needs to develop kind of throwing across the middle of the field and, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's a certain offense you can build for guys who have that type of athletic profile and, 
there's a lot of stuff they're going to take from what Philadelphia did. Uh, just the the blocking scheme, the way they use their tight ends, the you know the RPO game, the misdirection game, just a lot of stuff. The quarterback run game, a lot of stuff that they're going to just put in day one and say, you know, Anthony Richardson, who completed you know less than 54% of his passes at Florida. He's got a long way to go as a passer. They feel like if they can start with what he does well, which is uh, really, really run well, like a, you know, a 4'4 athlete who's 245 pounds, he's got even more rushing upside than Jalen Hurts, who's obviously fantastic at it. They feel like if they can get him in a good place there, they can build, uh, you know, they can, they can get him having enough success. They can get him in a place where the team can be competitive with him, even if they're, Maybe not, you know, not a contender yet, but not, you know, not so far gone that they can't run a functional offense. And then from there, kind of just build and build and build. And that's really the way it worked with Jalen Hurts. As you go back to, you know, he got to play at the very end of 2020. This is before Shane Sykin got there and it was a mess. He gets, Shane Sykin comes in 2021 and they build a very run heavy offense and they kind of a simple passing game that threw outside the numbers. And it kind of worked. It got into the playoffs. But by the end of the year, when the Eagles got into the wild card game against the Buccaneers, like the, the script was kind of out. Like the Buccaneers yeah. were like, we're going to make you throw and beat us across the middle of the field. And the Eagles weren't ready for that. And they got trounced. And so that was kind of the next evolution. The Eagles went out, traded for A.J. Brown, and just really hammered that part of the game. You know, they locked up Dallas Goddard. And they kind of opened up, uh, just, just added more layers to what Jalen Hurts could do. That's going to be the kind of the, the plan here, I guess. Uh, what needs to happen, though, to, to make that at all realistic is the franchise, the front office has to kind of do their part, too. So Shane Sykin can he can design, you know, awesome, an awesome offense, great blocking scheme, and he can work on developing the passing game. But what really helped Jalen Hurts ascend was A.J. Brown and going out and getting him a number one big bodied receiver across the middle of the field. It was locking up Dallas Goddard, and that's where – the Colts have intriguing weapons, but they don't have experienced, developed guys like an A.J. Brown. Uh, so I'll just be interested to see how aggressive they get past this year. This year is going to be very much a kind of a learning install year. But after this year, you know, how aggressive do they get about taking that next step uh, when the script comes out on them the way it did on Jalen Hurts in that playoff game? Are they able to take that next step as an organization? That's what I'm still waiting to kind of see. But they certainly feel like they have a coach with Shane Steichen who can at least kind of get this thing started. Yeah, and you said that this is, you know, an install year. And I could see this being something similar to when the Ravens transitioned from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson midseason where where it was more just like, okay, use your legs. We know that you're good at that. You'll figure everything else out kind of on the fly. But you have this kind of built-in advantage where we can play, we can remain competitive at least, and you know, we can figure out the rest later. Now, do I think the Colts are going to win the division based off that? No. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to go exactly how you know everything went with Lamar Jackson in his rookie season. Do you think um, Anthony's winning MVP this year? No, no, no. Well, I, I guess it was his, that was Lamar's second year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if everything goes well, I mean, we could see some, some bounds and leaps in, in year two with Anthony Richardson. Um, but I expect to see you know a lot of you know trial and error. I guess with the Colts, uh, I think there's going to be a, at minimum we can't say that they'll. We can't say they'll be boring. I don't think this is going to be a boring team like it was last year. Um, so that that's one thing they have going for them. Um, what, what outside of Anthony Richardson, I mean, excites you for this offense? Because it felt like last year that there was very little to be excited about when Sundays rolled around. Yeah. 
Uh, they finished dead last in uh, offensive DVOA and so bad. a lot of other categories. So it was it was pretty hard to watch last year. That's what happens when Nick Foles and Sam Ellinger, though, take meaningful snaps. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, quarterback was the number one thing. It was a complete revolving door there. But also, there, I mean, offensive line just sunk on them. Uh, young receivers, it's just kind of all. And then they fired the coaches midseason. So uh, I think what has to excite you is that they're going to have an offensive identity that they're going to stick with this year. So there's not a coach on the hot seat. There's not an offense coordinator on the hot seat. There's not going to – you wouldn't think that kind of change in the middle of it. So they're going to be able to develop it for – 17 games, uh, you know, around one style of quarterback. I think that's going to really help out the receivers and tight ends. Is they really, if you look at these guys on an individual level, if you look at the numbers for the receivers, it, nothing's impressive from last year. But you actually watch kind of what they did and what they could control. And there's reasons to get excited for the potential of Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce, uh, Jelani Woods. Those are kind of the main guys. Drew Ogletree is a second-year player who was hurt last year but but has some upside there too. What really hurt those guys, though, is that they kept having to switch quarterbacks all the time. And that, that really takes a toll, especially young players who aren't used to that kind of adjustment in the middle of the season. So to just be able to build with the same quarterback, to be able to go here when they go you know, OTAs and minicamp, and then when they do their private throwing sessions, for that stuff to carry over into the season and play with the same guy, is going to matter a lot. Now, I will say that there's a little bit of risk with Anthony. If they're going to run the level I think they're going to run, he's been injured in high school and college playing like that. So there is some risk in keeping him on the field with as much as they're going to run. But the excitement of it is that if, if they're able to, you know, they can do some fun things there. And that's just where I think there's upside for the receivers to really take a leap if they can just get a little bit of quarterback stability. So a guy like Jelani Woods, they took in the second round, uh, last or third round last season out of Virginia, you know, if you look at like his explosive plays, like the the actual yards per catch and all that, like, he was great last year. It just wasn't very many plays because you know it's it was a limited sample and then all the quarterback issues. But if he's able to form a connection with Anthony Richardson, you know, Johnny Woods coming into the combine last year was the most athletic tight end in history. Hmm. So you have that with the most athletic quarterback in history. And they're both in their young 20s. And you think about what they could build if they're able to you know, stay on the f- field and build an identity on offense and build a connection. That's a lot of fun. You think about like Michael Pittman Jr. has had, let me think here, this is going to be his fourth season and he's, I think he's on his sixth quarterback. Mm. So it's just, he's never unlocked a ceiling. And there's questions about, you know, he's been a 1,000 yard receiver, but there's questions about is he, is he a true number one? We, we just haven't – I don't think we've seen the settings to really answer that. Where This will start it where, yes, it's a very raw quarterback. But if it could be – again, if it can be the same quarterback, if it can uh, be the same role for Michael Pittman with that quarterback, I think you can see some of the stuff that made him, you know, Blitnikoff finalist, uh, you know, up, up with guys like CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson. Uh, or I was – CeeDee Lamb and Jamar Chase, I think, was that year. But – you can see some of that. So I think those two are kind of – that's really exciting. And then and then Jonathan Taylor, just – we've seen him be the best runner in football. Just two years ago, he ran for uh, almost 500 yards more than any other player. Yeah. And then that was one of the things that fell apart last year, the offensive line issues, and he got hurt. But you could envision a world where if he's healthier, the offensive line's not as much of an issue. And then just you add in an offensive scheme that's so different to where – you have the quarterback run threat. And now 
they're running these read options, these RPOs, these things where the defense has to constantly eye on Anthony Richardson, what that could open up, just even a moment's hesitation to freeze a linebacker. Jonathan Taylor has that kind of home run hitting ability. He's a guy that a couple years ago, you know, he had most of the top numbers for uh, like top mile per hour runs in the NFL. So there could be that explosive league leading type rusher still in there if they're able to, able to work all this out. Of course, I'm talking about, about all the upside here, and there's a lot of youth and rawness, and these guys are relying on an offensive line that really has to prove things. So I'm not saying that all this is going to come together, yeah. but I do think that there's a world where maybe one of these things kind of unleashes, or maybe maybe it takes a couple of years to get them all kind of on the same page. But in terms of like the youth, athleticism, and upside of the quarterback and the skill players, I think that's the most exciting thing in Indianapolis. Yeah, the offensive line was a huge just – swing and miss last year and a lot of people were like oh man what's wrong with quentin nelson well quentin nelson was trying to do the job of three people last year <laughs> and yeah. that that, took, that made his production dip um so in terms of the offensive line if the offensive line can even just get a little bit better and this run game like you said like carrying over the scheme that steichen had with the eagles I and mean, he's running it with jalen hurts miles sanders boston scott kenneth gangwell you throw up jonathan taylor into something like that that could be absolutely fun to watch um but the offensive line is going to be the biggest thing to see if this thing can be even remotely productive in year one. Um, defensively, Stephon Gilmore gets traded to Dallas. We know that they have stars on that side of the ball still with Shaq Leonard, Zaire Franklin, who's had a really good two years and earned himself an extension. Um, what else is really going on? I mean, I love their draft, by the way. They draft two of my favorite guys in the entire draft at cornerback, taking both Julius Brents and Darius Rush. Love both of those moves. I think that both of those guys are going to be really good. Um, tell me about the defense and your thoughts on them going into this year. Funny thing about Julius Brents, so I guess now we're calling Juju Brents, uh, is that when we were hanging is out, that what he, is that what he is referring to be called? Yeah, he wants to be known as Juju Island in the league. So <laughs> I guess there's uh, there's one other Juju out there, right? So so he's encroaching he's, on that a little bit. He's certainly he's certainly out there. Yes. Yeah, he's out there. Um, what's funny about that is I don't know if you remember it. It might have been that night at the Eagle where. Uh, uh, Jordan, one of our friends, had asked me, kind of, who do you think the Colts are going to draft? I said, just put him down for Julius Brents. <laughs> that's what happened because he's he's an indie kid, uh, grew up here, and he just fit like everything they looked for. They like, you know, they run the Seahawks style defense under Gus Bradley with long cornerbacks who press cover, and then everything else they look for in terms of, you know, they like they like guys who are you know team captains and multi-sport athletes and experienced players and all this stuff, mature players. He kind of just fit all those for them. So he's going to step in. I think he's the one rookie you can just pencil in for starting week one. Even we'll see if Anthony Richardson gets quite ready that fast. But Juju's the one that is just going to step right in. And this is where, like, the, that back into the defense is in a ton of transition. Because you mentioned Stephon Gilmore's gone. Uh, Rodney McLeod was another very sneaky player for them last year. Probably didn't get noticed outside of Indy because, you know, they didn't do much. But, like, he was – he, he had a career year as a strong safety and really, really brought that thing together in the back end. So you lose those two guys with all the experience, and it's maybe the youngest secondary in the NFL. I mean, the strong safety, they're going to have step in. Nick Cross, they drafted out of Maryland last year in the third round. He basically had a redshirt year. Mm. So you've got him, you've got a second-year free safety and Rodney Thomas the second. You've got Juju Brents as a rookie at one corner spot. And then Kenny Moore and, uh, and Isaiah Rodgers are the other two corners who are – uh, they're both in there, like, well, Kenny's been around a few years. Uh, 
but but uh, Isaiah hasn't been really a full-time starter yet. So that's where they're going to be really tested, is that you can talk yourself into the other parts of the defense. You mentioned those linebackers. If, if Shaquille Leonard is healthy, that, that should be one of the best linebacking groups in the NFL. They've got DeForest Buckner up front and Grover Stewart up front. And, you know, some talent on the edges. Quiddy Pay is a first-round pick. And Samson Ebukam out of uh, – they just signed him from the 49ers. So there's good players throughout the front seven. And and I think there's talent at corner and safety. It's guys they've drafted and invested in and have athletic traits and all that. But this is a tough league when, when you're not ready to play in the back end. And, you know, the, the teams will go up against, the Astros will go up against. It's going to really challenge them. So I think that, you know, they're, they're putting a ton on a defensive coaching staff that is all back. They brought every single coach back and, they had a pretty nice year last year, given what they were up against with having no offensive support whatsoever. Yeah. And Kill Leonard was basically out the whole year. They really held it together pretty well. But the question is, how did they do that now without Stephon Gilmore, without Rodney McLeod? And that's where it's just going to depend on, like, can the offense work with the defense in tandem a little bit? Can they – because last year they couldn't at all. But this year can – you know, some of the stuff we talked about on offense, if they can build a lethal run game, if they can get some – a few explosive plays, just take some of the pressure off the defense, then maybe they're not in a spot where the defense has to do everything. And maybe they they can grow up on their own too. But I think the defense definitely has a lot of work to go to do this year because there's a lot of excitement for for the guys you mentioned, uh, Darius Rush and Juju Brents. But when you haven't played, you know, in this league and you're going to step in and start day one, it's it's hard to do that at defensive back. Yeah, a lot of athletic prowess, but very green in terms of, you know, in-game reps. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, the rest of the AFC South, though, I mean, the majority of the of the division is just kind of in transition right now. And then just vibing at the top is the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have a budding superstar quarterback, a former Super Bowl winning head coach and Doug Peterson. And they bring in Calvin Ridley, who apparently is already raising eyebrows at Jags OTAs. Uh, your thoughts on Jacksonville just as a whole. They're the hipster pick to be the number one seed in the AFC this year. Um, love what I see from Jacksonville. What say you? I don't know if I'm quite on the train of number one seed uh, just because I just feel like the Chiefs and Bills have been doing this for a long time. But, I, I mean, I do think the Jags are set up to run away with this division because the other teams are just in such transition. You think about – uh, the Colts and Texans are probably going to be starting rookie quarterbacks very early on. and Potentially Tennessee, too, at some point with, with Will Levis. Yeah, I think Brian Daniels is this year, but obviously they're going to transition ready. And that, and that roster really has, has taken a dip. Uh, the, the Titans are – I just don't think you can look at the Titans, especially just look at their passing offense. And really the passing offense, which have got developed for in this division – it's weird because the Jaguars are still very young there, but they just last year took such a leap and they continue to add to it. Like you said with Calvin Ridley, where I, I just think they're going to really take off on that aspect of it. Uh, as far as like chase the number one seed, I think Jaguars still have things to answer on defense. You need to say sure. kind of how that, how that comes together. And, um, but, but like, yeah, they're, they're on a different level as far as of their passing game. And especially I just said like the Colts, defensive secondary issues that's where jacksonville that is not the matchup that they want twice a year so i think this is a very easy division for the jaguars to take and what i, I think those other three teams are hoping for is that in a year from now like they're, they're just closing the gap a little bit and that they can start to create their own 
window that's kind of like the Jaguars, where you have a, a talented quarterback on a rookie contract. You know, for most of these, for two of these teams, a new coach, D'Amico Ryans and Shane Steichen, and then you can kind of build your own version of what they're already building in Jacksonville. But that's definitely it, it's changed in just a year here. But that's definitely the team the whole division's chasing. You mentioned the Titans, and the Titans are just such a weird enigma to me right now because they fired their general manager midseason last year. It seemed to be some sort of power struggle between Schneider and Mike Brabel. Um, at one point, there's like murmurs that, oh man, if Ryan Daly's Ohio State, maybe Mike Vrabel goes to Ohio State. Like, there's a ton of conversations surrounding uh, leadership with the Titans last year. Obviously, Vrabel's still there, but offensively, like, how long can their offensive game plan be Derrick Henry ready break like it we've seen a breakdown already when when Henry got hurt outside of Traylon Burks like who are they throwing to like, I know Westbrook McKenna's still there I can't name you another receiver on their roster I don't I who's their tight end right now do they <laughs> I don't know any of these guys uh, off, they lost three offensive line starters as well because they cut Taylor Lawan Nate Davis signed elsewhere Ben Jones uh is no longer there so they are in such transition offensively, like I understand if fans want to see Will Levis sooner than later, I think this is going to be a situation like the Bears with Justin Fields where people are clamoring to see Justin Fields. But I think the team's like, dude, if we put Levis out there behind that offensive line, he's going to die. And for better or worse, we're fine if Ryan Tannehill gets killed every week because we don't have a long-term investment in that. So just be patient and wait until we have somebody in front of Levis who can protect him. Until then, Ryan Tannehill is going to get sacked nine times a game, and you're going to like it. So uh, the Titans are just weird to me right now, man. They are weird. And that's the thing is I, I think they had a hard time reading quite what lane to pick because they reset at GM, but they brought the coach back, and they're resetting elements of the roster. And it, that's where there were ro- rumors and whispers about would they trade Derrick Henry. Yeah. And if they did that, then that's where you're really leaning into – a rebuild. If you do that, then you almost might as well set yourself up for Caleb Williams or have a chance at that kind of lane. That was yeah. out there for them. They kind of played it in the middle, I guess, where they they're resetting the roster, but they're not fully tearing it down yet. I think that part of that is just the dynamics they have. They brought Mike Vrabel back. He won the power struggle, so they went with the GM who's going to work with him under the vision he has for what this team is, which is what it's been identity-wise since he got there, which is that you know, that that rugged power run team with Derrick Henry and let him kind of develop these guys on defense. That's what they have. They just don't have anything around those two things. They don't have, uh, they don't have the passing game. They don't have the offensive line. So uh, the one interesting move they made, they signed Andre Dillard in the offseason to play left tackle. Um, he was on the Eagles. He was kind of – the Eagles are so talented; they didn't have room for a first round. I was going to say they drafted him like relatively early on. He just never first played. round pick, and they didn't have room to play him. So uh, that the, the, that's what it's like to be uh, to be the Eagles these days. So that what is a problem to have. Yeah. So maybe their offensive line is better than, than we think if they hit on that position because it's such a hard one to fill. Mm-hmm. And I do think that like Ryan Tannehill isn't special, but I mean he's certainly serviceable. You can certainly do worse than Ryan Tannehill. Like I, I've I've learned not to totally write off the Titans in the past. Mike Vrabel just has a way of erasing the floor, especially when they play the Colts. They just something about that matchup. They just love kind of kicking the teeth out of the Colts in the trenches, and it works. And and they get to do it twice a year. So I'm not quite gonna put them in like a like I definitely think they're rebuilding in terms of I don't think they're 
a contender, but yeah. I'm not sure if they're, you know, there's a, I, I think it's possible they finish second in the division this year because they have more of that experience and stability at quarterback. And then that's where it will be interesting is do they at some point make the switch to Will Levis? Do they decide we need to see this kid? We need to get him reps. That's where you could see it. Like if they, you know, if they're second or third place team, but they're not going to go to the playoffs, maybe they do that in the final month of the season. Or maybe, like you mentioned, if Ryan Tannehill is taking the beating, it may just work out that way where he gets hurt and now it's time for Will Levis to come in. Um, that's where Will Levis is. It, it's just hard to figure out what his trajectory is because Will Levis comes in super, like he's fairly experienced and he's super, you know, he, he's fairly pro ready in terms of his mental makeup, how he picks up playbooks. He's been in three pro style offenses in three years. So that part, you're not worried about at the same time though, there are a lot of concerns about him, just his pocket presence and his feel, and they've got to rewire some of that. And if you mix that behind the bad offensive line, you know, maybe you're just creating more issues. So they have to really read that this year to decide kind of when to throw him in. And maybe it's possible that he doesn't, maybe it's just a redshirt year. That's going to kind of come down to how probably how Ryan Tannehill plays and probably how, you know, are they somewhat in the mix for a wild card spot? Like I, that, that may sound like a surprise to people. The Titans don't have a good roster, but I, I just wouldn't put it past Mike Rabel to have them somewhat in that conversation. Cause I've just seen that before, but yeah, it's hard to pin down whether they'll, you know, exactly where they're going to go this year. Yeah. Rabel is one of those coaches. Like you said, he raises the floor. So, I mean, this roster on paper, it's like a, between a four and six win team, he'll have them somewhere between a six and eight win team, just because he's that yeah. good of a coach. Um, I'm. We talked. You, you mentioned the murmurs of potentially trading Derrick Henry, and my thought process throughout all of this was: Are they going to be? Are they going to win a Super Bowl right now if Derrick Henry's on the roster? Clearly, the answer is no. So, if that is the takeaway, my thought is: Then why is he there? Why didn't they go? just completely all in this offseason saying, you know what, we're starting over. Get what you can right now by trading Derrick Henry because he's you're, he's not going to get any younger. You're not going to you know build up assets that you can retain by trading him next year, uh, assuming that they do that. Um, Tannehill, they don't have any sort of like long-term money tied up in him. They could have very well released or traded him. Like If I was the Titans, I would have just gone, all right, you know, we're just going to completely embrace Ariba. We're going to trade Henry. We're going to trade Tannehill. We'll take a quarterback day three, like a Clayton Toon or a Jake Hayner, and just roll with them, win three games, draft Caleb Williams, and ride this thing and see what happens. I'm surprised they didn't do that. I understand that that's not exactly Vrabel's MO in terms of you know just making it violently obvious that, yeah, we're going to be bad this year. But, man, oh, man, they're not – they're not going to win anything with Derrick Henry. So why, why, why keep them? Yeah. Well, I think that my theory and just in, in read between the lines of what they've done and what they've been reported to be trying to do is that I think they had a different plan for this off off season. I think they wanted to get either CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson. Mm. The idea was that Anthony, is then Derrick Henry is a very key part of alleviating, you know, stress on a rookie quarterback in, yeah. in throwing. the same way I thought that Jonathan Taylor is going to help out Anthony Richardson. That would be the idea if he was in Tennessee. And so when the Cardinals were up on the clock and there were so many whispers about the Titans trading up, that's uh, Monty Austin Ford, the Cardinals GM came right from Tennessee. Uh, it's where he worked last. 
And there were at least, I know there were three teams that were in on that pick. And one of them ended up being the Texans. And you look at the amount the Texans gave up it was just a crazy amount. Yeah. Really overpaid to go up and get it. That tells you that they were leapfrogging somebody else. And that almost, it very much reads like they're paying the price to win a bidding war within their own division. Mm -hmm. So, and I can tell you, I went to Ohio State's Pro Day for CJ Stroud. I, I went to all these except for, I went to Richardson's, Levis's, and uh, Stroud's. The only one that Mike Rabel was at was Ohio State's. Now that's mm -hmm. where he's from. But also, like, he was talking to everybody there. And I just, it felt like CJ Stroud would be a very natural fit. He knows Ryan Day. They can implement a very similar offense. So it just didn't work either way for that. They didn't get C.J. Stroud because he went number two. And then, the you know, when they didn't win the bid for or, – or when they didn't trade up to number three, uh, you know, Richardson goes number four. So then they had to kind of reset. And they, like, they clearly didn't value they, – they like Will Levis enough to take him where they did and trade up a little bit, but didn't take him with the first round pick. So they didn't see him as this sort of – Immediate. I don't think they saw him in the same light they left with C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson. And this is where I think they just got caught in a tough spot. Is that I agree? I would entertain the idea of tearing it down and going for Caleb Williams. I think what they wanted was let's like this team's closer than than others think it is, or we feel like Mike Grable can get it there if we get the right quarterback. And they just didn't get the ones that they were really after. And so then they just. All right, so let's add the guys we can. That's so where they got you know, Peter Karanti, uh first round, set back up, Will Levis. They just, and now I just think they're, they're playing out a string here where sort of a transitional year where, um, you know, Ryan Tails is going to, like you said, take a beating this year. And you hope that Derek, for them, they hope that Derek Henry has enough left to still be a part of getting the most out of Will Levis. But, yeah, if you could go back in time and say, you know, you guys aren't going to get the two quarterbacks you want, or you're not going to be able to pay up to get them. That's where they probably could have reset it and maybe they're a team that's in the Caleb Williams race, and and maybe it's a completely different story. But that's what that's one of the mysteries of the draft is you just don't always know how it's going to go. We'll talk a little bit about Houston. I mean, we talked enough about C.J. Stroud. We'll talk about the team in which he did end up playing for uh, or getting drafted by uh, the Houston Texans. Yeah, there was a big. Uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, man, Houston might just pass on a quarterback altogether and just go BPA. And we're like, oh, God, D'Amico, what, what are you doing, man? Um, but they take C.J. Stroud and then immediately trade up and get Will Anderson. They get Tank Dell later on in the draft as well. So a good draft for the Texans. Uh, I think that for them, they had holes everywhere. And so as long as they filled, you know, got good players, good athletic players, um, with each of their picks, I think they were going to be pretty, pretty happy with it. What do you think of what they did overall? I mean, I think their off season has set them up to finally be an interesting and competitive team, which they haven't tried to be since you know the end of Deshaun Watson's time as a starting quarterback. They've really just treaded water and kind of set themselves up for the draft. Uh, and then finally this year, they kind of went for it. So they get an exciting coach in D'Amico Ryans, which I think everybody would have had at the top of their list. Uh, but he went back there, you know, team he played for. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, getting C.J. Stroud and, and Will Anderson, those are two players, very pro-ready players at the most important positions on the two sides of the ball to where you say, like, you know, it's time to get this thing moving. And so, you know, I think you combine that with you – know, there's some things to like about the roster at 
other spots. Like their offensive line, I think, is better than a lot of people realize. They have a you know stud left tackle in, in Laramie Tunsil. Yeah. They have these things that if they had a quarterback, you would notice more. Uh, you know, and and then on defense, we're going to have to see kind of how quickly D'Amico Ryan's can have that impact if he can if he can have a bit of a Mike Vrabel impact where you know the the sum is better than the uh, or, or the whole is better than the sum of the parts um, because they have some talented players on that defense. I mean, just a year ago, you know, they drafted Derek Stingley. Uh, so they, they have him, they have Will Anderson. It's just very, very young. So this team is like, I don't know, you, it's hard to view them as a playoff contender because right. while excited for Will Anderson, excited for CJ Stroud, Derek Stingley, these guys are first and second year players. Like it takes a little bit of time, first year sure. coach. But I definitely think there's a world where they're a lot more competitive than they've been. And I don't know, like they're a team that the risk with the trade they made with the Cardinals is that if if youth becomes the big issue and it just holds them back, they could have a top three pick in the draft that they don't own anymore. And now it's going to go to Arizona. And that's where like they may have really overpaid in terms of the value for Will Anderson. Uh, so it'll just depend on like how – how their season goes as far as how that trade's going to be read. But it's also going to come down to, obviously, Will Anderson, is that the comp for him, uh, sort of like the high-end comp for him, has been DeMarcus Ware. And yeah. if he's DeMarcus Ware and C.J. Stroud hits, like, all this stuff's going to kind of fall to the wayside. Like, they all have finally created a franchise that is interesting. And I think that's really where they were, is that they were really losing, like, the the pulse of Houston. I mean, they were, mm. they were such an unpopular team. I went there, so I just got on the Colts beat mid-season 2021. And that was, I want to say, my second road trip. And the Texans were, you know, obviously a bad team, but I've never seen fewer fans at a tailgate, fewer fans walking oh. around a stadium. I, I, I wondered if they knew there was a game that day. It was <laughs> kind of a feel. And so, like, they – and I can't blame the fans. This isn't a shot at them. This is like oh, what the yeah. I had set them up for by just – you know, chasing off a quarterback and never having any plan and cycling through coaches. So I think this draft, this offseason between hiring D'Amico Ryans and the way they handled the draft was a signal to everyone that, like, we're, we're getting serious here. We're going after the highest upside people we can get at the most important positions of a franchise. And then you add Derek Stingley into that. All of a sudden they've got it at head coach, quarterback, defensive end, corner. They're all super young. They're going to have to grow. But in a way, they're kind of building what the Jaguars were just, you know, a year ago where they had new coach, rookie quarterback, you know, really young players. And obviously Trevor Lawrence's first year went, went very poorly, but you'll take it in terms of what it set up for their future. That's going to be the hope for the Texans. But I can't, I can't figure out whether they're – I think they're going to be better than people realize this year just because I believe in D'Amico and I think that there's something to be said for – a guy like Will Anderson just dropping him into such an important position, but how good are they? I don't know. I I, I still think they're probably like the third best team in the division. If you had to guess right now, how does the AFC South play out in terms of standings in twenty twenty three? So definitely think the Jaguars win it. Uh, it's really hard after that. <laughs> uh, I think you could really come up with any order two through four. Uh, if I had to guess, based on right now, I'm going to say the Titans number two, just because they have the experienced quarterback, and I just don't bet that much against Mike Vrabel. Uh, after that, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the Texans and then the Colts. Mm. 
And that mostly comes down to just certain holes on the Colts roster that if they fill in the next few months, this will change this. But there's a couple spots, like I mentioned, with secondary mainly. And then there's a couple on the offensive line where they've just sort of really embraced youth and they've kind of let these holes open. And it feels very much like this is a transitional year. And if that's how they approach it, you could see where even though there's exciting plays out of Anthony Richardson and the offense and all this, that, that it's not up to win games. So I think it's one of those where like the, for really the Texans the, and the Colts and then if, whenever Will Levis plays, it's really not about the finish in the division so much as how the quarterback looks and how comfortable he is. So I don't want this to come off like like there's a route where the Colts could finish fourth and it's still a successful year sure. if it looks and feels a certain way at the end. But yeah, I just I, I, I the only certainty I think that's here is the Jaguars are going to be number one. Nate Atkins, good stuff, buddy. Where can the people find your stuff? Yeah, you can find me uh, indiestar.com and uh, on Twitter at Nate Atkins underscore. And yeah, all around. Good talking to you, buddy. We'll definitely do this more throughout the offseason and once the season gets started. Um, maybe maybe a road trip to Indianapolis uh, for me is needed and we can go back to the Eagle and eat, eat our weight in chicken. Absolutely. Steelers are coming here. So I know. See, that 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 would be the perfect ex- excuse for me to do that. So TBA. But once we get closer to that, I'll let you know if uh, if I need a couch to crash on. Awesome. Well, you got one here if you need one. All right, buddy. Appreciate you. Yep. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.